Well, good evening, and welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark. And we are continuing our discussion on the Gospel of Thomas, this time with Sane 21. We are being joined tonight by Bishop Pearson, by Father Tony, and by Monsignor Scott. Welcome, everyone. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Good to see everybody. We're going to have to get Monsignor Scott's points out of the way uh, quick, because he, he has to jut out at about the 30-minute mark. So, Oh, dear. Gotcha. Okay. So let's... Uh, Let's put all the pressure right on him, right, right to right at the beginning, right. and say you know, say something in, profound and insightful, <laughs> and uh, impress us. Shall we uh, begin though with reading the verse for people who haven't seen the show? I sure. think that would be a great idea. Okay, um, we got it's, it's Gospel of Thomas, saying twenty-one. Mary said to Jesus, "Whom are your disciples like?" He said, "They are like little children who have settled in a field which does not belong to them. When the owners of the field come, they will say, "Leave us our field." They are naked before them, in order to leave it to them and give them back their field. Therefore, I say, if the master of the house knows that the thief is coming, he will keep watch before he comes and will not let him dig through his house of his kingdom to carry off his things. You then be watchful over, over against the world. Gird your loins with great strength that the robbers may find no way to come at you. For the advantage for which you look, they will find." May there be among you a man of understanding. When the fruit ripened, he came quickly, his sickle in hand, and reaped it. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. All right. Yeah. So. And during the uh, during the video show, Scott, we had uh, basically. I think we just got to about the first half of that particular verse. We didn't even get into dis discussing uh, the rest of it. Uh, but what are some of your thoughts on this? Well, the first thing I want to bring up is a point that was raised by uh, Stephen Davies in his Gospel of Thomas, Annotated and Explained. Okay. And up the idea that the very first person we talk to in this verse is Mary. Mary mm -hmm. asked Jesus something. Which Mary? Mm -hmm. Is this Mary Magdalene? Is this Mary the mother? And, you know, she's asking, what kind of people are you hanging out with? <laughs> uh, you know, it's, what are your friends' names and, and when are you going to be home? Exactly. When are you going to be home? Why are you wandering around with these people in this field? What's going on? <laughs> and why are you naked? <laughs> and why are they naked? What's going on? Put some clothes on. <laughs> uh, so that was that's a very good point, I think. And usually we assume that Mary Magdalene is the one who's addressing him because she's one of his disciples. Uh -huh. And uh, when uh, the point that he makes is that uh, when people are talking about Jesus' disciples, the disciples rarely have any idea of what Jesus is trying to communicate in the mm -hmm. Gospel. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, we shouldn't automatically say, what are your disciples like, is the equivalent of who are those who correctly understand this. It could mm -hmm. be the opposite. It could be the guys that are too dumb to <laughs> understand on, or just totally are missing the boat. So I, I think that's an interesting point mm -hmm. that we can read this backwards. Okay. <laughs> right, because constantly throughout all of these documents, the, you know, whenever Jesus has a parable and a story to tell and, and a, a lesson to teach, all his disciples go, huh? And he's like, okay, let me break it down for the idiots in the room. And then he goes <laughs> on to re-explain it in a, in a different way. 
And sometimes they still go, huh? <laughs> right, right. Well, and he often says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. I mean, he's not assuming that people have the ears to hear this. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that was one of the interesting points. Uh, the other point that he brings up is about the stripping naked. Uh-huh. Uh, he says that that refers to the ideal primordial time before the fall, prior to Adam and Eve, when, at, when Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed, mm-hmm. and subsequently they became aware of their nakedness and were ashamed, the Gospel of Thomas advocates the return to the time of the beginning so that your nakedness is symbolic of that time and you're no longer ashamed. You no longer have this fallen state. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting idea about it as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you look at the um, kind of the Gnostic creation myths, the ones that uh, take Genesis and, and futz with it a little bit and, you know, change a detail here and there. That's always what they say is that the, the, the nakedness, they, they become aware of their nakedness and, and their nakedness is always equivalent to the ignorance, you know? So when they clothe themselves with the stuff that the Debiurge puts there for them, that is when they, when they become ignorant. And so stripping away that stuff. The Hymn of the Pearl does a good job of this as well. One of my yeah. favorites, you know, where one um, of the two things that they tell the prince not to do when he goes down there is don't eat the food and don't wear their clothes. Yeah. And he does both. Right. <laughs> well, and it's also interesting. I remember speaking to a rabbi. I think I mentioned this before, perhaps, but I spoke to a rabbi once who said that the root word for naked, or I'm sorry, for, for um, n- uh, naked and subtle are, 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 are the same. And we have the serpent as being subtle, and we have the man and his wife, Adam and Eve, being naked. Now, what does a snake do? Well, it sheds its skin. Hmm. And uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm just... Just like in that Noah movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah but you have yeah, the, 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 the serpent um, sheds its skin, and you know, kind of like clothes. The other thing, of course, that I often thought about that passage was um, when you're naked, a person can attempt to get one over on somebody by revealing things about themselves, by quote-unquote exposing themselves to a person, but the deviousness is internal. It's not something uh, that's going to be as obvious. So um, the, the nakedness here, I, I do think, is, is a something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the, there's an interesting parallel that happens in Revelation um, that, you know, it, and I, I think this points to a tradition of, um, you know, this teaching being kind of uh, passed on uh, throughout the various different kinds of Christianity and the, very, the various different kinds of Gnostic Christianity specifically. Um, Revelation 16.15 says, uh, Behold, I am coming like a thief. Uh, blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to go naked and be shamefully exposed. Yeah, I remember so, that one. Yeah, so I mean, this is an interesting uh, an, an interesting kind of take on this exact same theme. It, it includes the thief and the nakedness in the same in the mm-hmm. same verse, in the same way that the Gospel of Thomas does. So you can see that this, this teaching definitely... Um, went from, you know, wherever the Gospel of Thomas was written, you know, perhaps Alexandria, perhaps, you know, even Jerusalem, uh, that region, and all the way through to Patmos where the, Re- the Revelation was written. Um, 
and arguably both of these texts would have been used by those early Gnostic communities. Yeah. There, as I said, I think in the, the video, this was almost like they took a bunch of these different sayings, because there's several parallels, and kind of squished them into something, yeah. which made me wonder, which makes me wonder, how did that happen? Because for the most part, Gospel of Thomas is pretty orderly. Um, in fact, you know, some of some of the sayings are so short that we do two of them in a, in a, in a broadcast. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this one, my goodness, it goes all over the place, but there is a thread. It's just kind of trying to connect those threads that I think is a challenge. Right. Some of the some of the themes that show up again and again, uh, the field. Right. You see mm -hmm. the field show up in a bunch of places. In some places, there's a treasure a treasure buried in it, and somebody mm -hmm. buys it, and it becomes kind of like a pearl of great price kind of parable. Um, the thief in the night shows up all over the place. Right. Um, the nakedness and the, the, the fact that you have to be like a, like a child, right, to yeah. enter yeah. the kingdom. Um, in fact, in the very, very next verse that we'll talk about whenever we do the next verse, you know, the, um, the nursing babies are like those who enter the Father's kingdom. Yeah. So yeah. It, it, I agree with you when you say that it's orderly, um, and it does kind of, pull things from other places, even within this own with this text, which I think is another good argument that this is an older text that, you know, just kind of records, hey, I remember Jesus this one time said this thing. Let's write all that stuff down. Mm -hmm. We've also got, we've got, you know, the, the thief in the night, which comes up, but we've also got the, the, the home invasion uh, in which, you know, somebody comes, they bind up the straw, the, the home invader binds up the strong, strong man. And that's a, that, that's a different set of verses there right. as well. Um, so, in here we have, we don't have, the, the bandit is not, is, is, is from what I can tell here, the bandit is not beneficent. That's, this is not a good bandit. This is not, doesn't sound to me like a positive sort of a bandit. It goes into, be on your guard against the world. Okay, well, that makes a bit of sense. Arm yourself with great power, let, let the, lest the brigands find a way to get to you for the trouble that you expect will come. And, it, it's, and then let an experienced person dwell in your midst. When this crop has matured, that person came in haste, sickle in hand, and harvested it. So you know, you're supposed to arm yourself because you're up against a pretty formidable foe. Uh, these, these, guys, these guys know the advantages. They know how to take advantage of you. Hopefully, you'll get somebody with you that who is experienced, who knows how to identify when the crop is ready to be harvested. Um, there, there's a lot. There is a thread there. Yeah. It's just kind of all piled up on top of each other. But it's you know you you've got you've got to watch out against a malicious individual who's seeking to harm. You can arm yourself. But be on your guard and pray to get somebody who knows how to harvest. And all this. Let me go you, back to the field. Yeah. We, all this after you had to deal with some naked kids in your field. Yeah. <laughs> but we, we we kind of we, we begin and end with 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 a, with a field, mm -hmm. and we begin and end. You know, so there it's sandwiched, and then we've got all this about thieves and. It's almost like a little narrative. You know, it's, yeah. it's like you could you could expand that into a whole little story. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got you've got the the children in the field at the beginning, and then. It's nighttime, but somehow he knows that the thief is coming, and yeah. then he wakes up and he harvests his field. Yeah, and Edvard Grieg is playing in the background, ostensibly. <laughs> um, 
so the thing the thing that confuses me though is that we have at the beginning we have these little children who amscray when ordered take off their clothes and amscray and then but then we go to back to the owner of the estate who is this owner of the estate is the owner of the estate the guy who kicked out the kids or is this a different owner of an estate who has to be on his guard I think, uh, Monsignor, I, something I think happened to your microphone. We can't re hear you very well. No, nope. oh, I'm sorry. Can you oh. hear me better now? Yes. They're, they're yes. Yeah. Okay. I think the, um, the estate actually is a whole separate thought. Okay. Just because of the way that it's phrased. Because mm -hmm. in the different translations, you end up with, you know, the plot of land on in the first part. But then you have the estate or the house or the... Mansion, I think they translate it as in one place. Mm -hmm. So it's the of the house, not the the owner of the estate, not necessarily the person who has the land. Okay. So I mean, they're very different words. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I, I think there's a thread necessarily running through it. Only in the fact that it's bookended by the field. Yeah. So that yeah. it it does. Uh, even, even at the end, it's not a field; it's a crop. Well, right, but but a crop grows in a field. Or it's a fruit that's ripened, which grows in an orchard. Or it's, uh, they say fruit again. So, I mean, I'm looking at the Blatz, the Leighton, and the okay. Doresi mm -hmm. translate. So the words they use are very different. And again, I'm, I'm almost thinking that these are three phrases that got combined together, and they don't necessarily form a thread. Sure, yeah, yeah very possibly. Uh, just because they're such different ideas. In the one hand, you've got, you know, the people are going to give up their clothes and leave. So they're mm -hmm. going to return to kind of an Eden and a, and a um, place, and the the land is going to go back to the archons and the people who deal with matter. And then on the other, you've got these, these spiritual treasures that you have on your estate that the bandit is going to come to get, so you have to keep watch so you don't lose them. Mm -hmm. you don't they don't steal the possessions. And then in the third place, you've got this crop which is maturing, and you need someone who understands it so that they can re can harvest it. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. seems it should actually come before the brigand part. <laughs> <laughs> if they're throwing a some kind of a a theme to it, I almost would put these in a reverse order. You have your crop come up, you have your bandit come trying to steal your your things, and then you have the children in the field with all your crop, and you send them away. Or whatever, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one. The other thing that I is you know we have this story at the beginning with the children and naked children in the field, and then it goes into the uh, the next part and it's thus I say or therefore I say. So there, it seems to me that again we're looking at the English here, but if it's thus I say or therefore I say, there is some connection that's being implied. Um, you know, this is what my disciples are like, like, therefore, and goes on to this whole thing about owners of the estate and harvesting a crop when the, the crop is ripe. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to jump around in the document a little bit here and talk about verse uh, Logian 37. Um, his disciples said, when, when will you appear to us and when will we see you? And Jesus said, when you strip without being ashamed and take off your clothes and put them under your feet like little children and trample them, then you will see the son of the living one and you will not be afraid. I think mm -hmm. this is a, a 
this is connected, in my opinion, to Logan 21, where he's talking about the exact same thing, that the little children are going to take off their clothes and, and they're going to trample them, in a, if you combine the two. They're going to trample them under their feet and give the field back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, you'll see that you'll see the father. Mm-hmm. Right? So I think that if you take the reason why I've, I find it easier to jump around in this document is because there doesn't, there isn't that narrative sense. And that's why I think right. that Monsignor Aspect's instinct to flip the sentences around, I, I don't find any problem with that because I don't necessarily think, I mean, obviously these numbers are made up by modern mm-hmm. scholars. These numbers aren't, um, you know, the, 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 the document wasn't written with the numbers in them. Yeah. These are a, a way to talk about them as individual phrases. So, who who's to say if this is you know this was intended to be one phrase or not? And it, it, the you know it, again they're kind of they're together that way. Maybe that's how they that they were taught, but in obviously with a much greater discourse, um, and it probably made a lot more sense to the people who put the thing together than it does to us now. Well, sure. If it was even used in this format, I yeah. Mean, it, yeah, you know, it's very unlikely since most people didn't read at the time. It, it's very unlikely that somebody would have been handed this document and said, "Here yeah, you go. Here's been, what everybody said." It would have just been a kind of a, been read. a memorial, uh, a memory aid, rather, just yeah. to say, mm-hmm. "Okay, this is the lesson we're going to talk about today, and here's where that chunk of stuff is in this document, and start there, and mm-hmm. then teach about this other stuff that you already know about." Yeah, and we don't have that stuff. Well, we don't have that stuff. Or maybe we do. We just don't know which one is which. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I um, you know, I, I, I love this passage. It's just as I said, it, it's, it's, uh, it's very squished together. Right, and to add another wrinkle, if we add <laughs> Logan one oh nine, which is I'm um, scrolling down to it here, um, Jesus said the Father's kingdom is like a person who had a treasure hidden in the field but did not know it, and when he died, he left it to his son. The son did not know about it either. He took the field and sold it. The buyer went plowing, discovered the treasure, and began to lend money at interest to whomever he wished. Well, <clears throat> yeah, but so this is the same field in my mind. You know what I'm saying? So <laughs> this field, this that the children took off their clothes and threw them down. They, did they leave a treasure behind? Is this the same field and they left some kind of a treasure from their awakening and now the three generations later the, you know this this random dude bought it and had all this you know treasure to lend quite a bit quite a bit of treasure <laughs> or maybe I'm completely full of crap uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's, that's an interesting idea. Um, but I think, again, we're coming to two separate things, two separate ideas with the land, because in, in the second one, the treasure is within the land, but in this first one, they leave it. Yeah. And that's not where they find their treasure. They actually strip off their clothes. Mm-hmm. So well, that, that was one of the points, you know, Scott, I had, uh, you know, made during the video show is yeah. like, uh, you know, uh, almost like, like, Hey, we want nothing of it here. Here you go. We're taking off our clothes. It's yours. This is all yours. <laughs> you know, um, almost in the sense that they were rejecting the teachings uh, of the demiurge, re- rejecting uh, of the things of this particular world. So uh, I can definitely see where it's kind of 
almost in two separate things. And, you know, it's one thing that we're talking about the field, but it's another thing, I think, as you mentioned, of kind of talking about the crops and the fruit being ripened, because I do think it's an interesting point, you know, that we're not talking about uh, harvesting wheat or corn, you know, we're talking harvesting fruit. But is that a word that was just used for, you know, the fruits of the harvest is, you right. know, as, as a phrase that would have been thrown mm-hmm. around? I think it's, I think that yeah, Leighton. Uh, one of a couple of them say fruit. Some of them say crop. I'd have to act, yeah, I, and yeah, I don't really know Coptic. But the interesting thing I, I would I would say um, is that a lot of the uh, commentators on this, and there are quite a few, did go along with the idea that the children were discarding their uh, discarding their bodies and giving up their lives, uh, which is one way of thinking about it. But it may also reflect an idea. Of that Gnostics were deeply into dying and anti-material, anti-materialist thought. Yeah, and I, you know, you hear this argument a lot, and and I think that if you have a kind of how do how do I say it and be polite? I, I guess a superficial understanding of, or just a, a surface level, I guess, uh, literary understanding of these texts then, yeah, absolutely, you can see that the Gnostics were, you know, they hated their bodies and they hated the worlds and they should have just killed Mm -hmm. themselves and been done with it and then they would have been much happier, wouldn't they? But that's not, I don't think, what the texts are saying. Because the, you know, even in, you look at the secret book of John, which everybody kind of agrees is the, the example of Sethian cosmology, you know, Mm -hmm. and the Sethians are, often accused by scholars and by their detractors of their day um, of being the most world-hating dualist of all of the Gnostic groups. But you look at the actual text and, you know, it's the, the, the body is, it's, it, yeah, the body is definitely a trap and it's definitely created in order to, so that people aren't, uh, you know, awakened to their true spiritual divinity. Um, but on the other hand, the the savior figure or a savior figure for the Sethians was was Seth, the third son of Adam and Eve, who was created entirely out of just regular old human intercourse. Yeah. In a but in a purified kind of a sense. So to say that the Gnostics out of hand hated their bodies and everything about them is just, in my opinion, far too simplistic. So you know, saying that the this parable specifically is just about getting rid of the body. I, mm-hmm. I don't think that's. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, I think that that's perfectly legit. The other thing that I'm wondering here, something about that uh, Monsignor Rosbach um, kind of touched on earlier is, are the, is Jesus even necessarily praising these children? Um, they're in a plot of land. They t- they strip off their clothes. They surrender the land, and and, and they take off. Um, it, you know, on one hand, if you want to take this as taking off their clothes means okay, we're out of here, we're out, we're out of this material world, we're gone. Then that could be construed as praising the children. The other uh, way of looking at it is, did these children just uh, because they were little children who didn't really know what they were doing, did they just walk away from something um, without putting up a fight and, and maybe that was something that innocent children will do but it is not something that adults ought to be doing 
Right. If it Although, weren't for some of the other references to children trampling their clothes, I would agree yeah. with you. Yeah. Uh, but, right. And be like the little children. Yeah. That comes a lot. But you're right. He is talking specifically. He's, he's answering somebody who is asking him specifically about his disciples. Mm-hmm. The, the, he's not asking, you know, how should we pray, or she, rather, uh, sorry, is, that, is not asking how should we pray or what should we do to see the kingdom or anything like that. She's just saying, what are these dudes you're hanging out with? What are they like? And, the, and this, this is the answer. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we're reading too much into it altogether. And that will happen. <laughs> God forbid. We've got an hour and 20 minutes to fill in these shows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I do like, you know, I, I will say that I, I like the idea of um, having a, the, the, there is this, he's pointing to some sort of bringing somebody who is, who has some kind of knowledge, bringing them into your, your midst you hope to have this experienced person, this person of understanding, uh, because this is the person that's going to be able to properly harvest the crop. And, right. um, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about spiritual authority and how that's been addressed in the Gospel of Thomas. Uh, do you gentlemen think that he, that he is pointing to the importance of having somebody who is a Gnostic, who is uh, an authority within a community? Yeah, I think that I think that there is a there's a theme that runs throughout the Gnostic scriptures, or many of them anyway, that says you know you have to find a teacher, you know you have to find somebody who has experienced this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's the same today because you know I can read six books about Gnosticism and go around and say, hey, I have experienced Gnosis and I know the <laughs> the truth of the divinity and the whole thing and um, unless I have somebody against whom I can check that, <laughs> there's there's very little, you know, there's very little way for me to know and be sure. Um, so yeah, so the person with understanding is the one who's going to be able to come and, and harvest the crops. Um, but that's the last step, harvesting. You know, mm-hmm. you've got to do all the work, the prep work. You got to plow the field. You got to plant the seed you got to water it you got to keep the crows away and all that stuff so and I, I think one of the very interesting things about this verse is we have two at least two very different types of people mm-hmm. we have the mm-hmm. children on the one hand who strip themselves naked and then we have the man of understanding who goes and reaps mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. So, it's a very big contrast, and if both of these peoples are supposed to be like his disciples, then which are they? Or are they both? Or what? where does the difference come in? Does the little child and the man of understanding contrast with each other, or do they relate to each other? Does the little child turn into the man of understanding? I mean, it's an interesting contrast just in this verse. It I is. Don't have- I don't have any answers for it, but I think I think it's the the contrast might even be a warning to be mm-hmm. like sometimes you're a man of understanding and sometimes you're a little child who's naked sitting in a field. Mm-hmm. So it, it we all had mornings like that. Oh Lord! Oh. And then of course in the, in the middle we have a bandit and and a, and a field owner. <laughs> well, right. a homeowner. So, well, we have an opposition. We have an oppositional relationship there. 
which is very interesting. Um, yeah. Because the, the Gnostic, with a Gnostic, you wonder who's going to come and steal your stuff. Who's going to be that person? And you know, the bandit, the robber, they're obviously not good people, but it's not as though it's the, the adversary or necessarily some spiritual force. Mm-hmm. What if it's a, a human agency? Maybe this is a warning against false prophets again. Hmm. Well, you know, there there is the idea that a, a person of um, ill intent or is just simply completely ignorant uh, show you know it can show up and and grab something, grab some spiritual technology or knowledge, and you know put a gloss on it and use it to their own purposes. Uh, oh yeah. And that and we, we've seen we all we've all seen that. Um, so yeah, it's it's that that's interesting. The other thing that I was interested in was these children were living in a plot of land. Where were the owners all this time? Uh, they were in the house guarding. Oh, okay. Thank you for clarifying that, yeah, Father. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll be here all week. It takes a while for you to walk around it and see where the little children are living. So, right. and the children are sneaky. Right. So. <laughs> they are, and they're short. And they're short. So, and this you know, case, they, naked as well. Yeah. Well, they were naked. They were naked at the very end. It seems they had clothes originally. Maybe they were yep. wearing camouflage, and so when, then they took off their <laughs> camouflage, and then they could be found. There you go. Yeah, probably not. Um, <laughs> the the. Uh, so the way that I've always read that middle section about the about the thief mm-hmm. is it because actually because it's used so commonly as a symbol throughout the various scriptures, mm-hmm. um, I kind of always assumed that this was a very common thing that just happened to people. <laughs> you know that you're living in your house and they hadn't invented padlocks yet, and so people are always kind of constantly trying to break in and take your stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and for oh, me, yeah. that's that's kind of a symbol for you know. Lots of pretty bad stuff is going to happen to you just by nature of being part of the world, right? Mm And bad stuff happens, and it happens all the time for no apparent reason. So, but if you're aware right up front, if you you walk around with the understanding that, yes, bad stuff is going to happen, but it doesn't have to affect me if I'm prepared, you know? Mm -hmm. And not just prepared like I'm carrying a gun or something. That's not what I mean. Just like... Um, understanding that this stuff that you have is just stuff in this particular example, and that if somebody comes and takes it, yeah, you could you could be there and you could fight them off and you know kick them out of your house and call the police or whatever, or they could take your stuff. But at the end of the day, that's not really what's important. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how I read that, and I probably read a lot more into it than <laughs> than I should, but that's. Yeah, that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's legit. Now, what interests me is that I'm looking at the earlychristianwritings.com site, and the bit about how the robbers are going to find, to be able to to discover an advantage against you, they each translate very differently. Um, Blatz uh, translates it as the robbers, for the advantage for which you look, they will find in other words, if you, it seems to me that if you, if you're looking for a adv- way to take advantage in a in a in a fight with with the bandits, they're going to find that advantage advantage ahead of time. Um, you've got arm yourself with Leighton. We have arm yourself with great power, lest the brigands find a way to get to you. For the trouble that you expect will come. So 
yeah, whatever, you know, whatever you can think of, yeah, it can probably happen with these guys because they're pretty bad. And then we have gird up your loins with great energy. We have Duress who's saying, um, uh, gird up your loins with great energy so the brigands do not find any way of reaching you for they will find any place you fail to watch. So there's three different descriptions there of how the brigands can find your vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. if, if I can interrupt for a second, uh, yes. I have Stephen, Stephen Davies' translation of it. Please. You must, keep, you must keep watch against the world, preparing yourself with power so that thieves will not find any way to come upon you. Yeah. Oh. That's kind of like gird up your loins with great energy, which actually is kind of a, a disturbing image. You know, when you think about it, are you putting on electric underpants? <laughs> I mean, that's... Well, that's what the Mormons do. Oh, let's get Ooh. some of them, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... I, I like that kind of like protect yourself with power, you know. that's yeah. uh, It's almost magical in that, you know, you can cast a protective circle or something. Yeah, you, 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 ha you have power, use it. Right. There's a lot of things that, if you, if you look a lot of these, you know, parts of the scriptures, if you look at them in a certain way, um, to me, kind of indicate there is a ritual component that's happening here. So mm -hmm. maybe you know, to protect yourself with power is a specific call to a ritual action that these people mm -hmm. would have been teaching, also. Yes, because they talk a lot of those. Yeah. Um, Monsignor Rosbach, you've uh, discussed with us the Archons before. Do you see the Archons here as the, the these bandits who are so wily and will attempt to find ways to get at you if you don't gird yourself with power? I really don't. You don't? Uh, okay. I, I don't think this is an Archonic construction. I mean, you can read it that way if you want to, but mm -hmm. I don't think original intent goes that way. Mm -hmm. Simply because of the fact that we're talking about the disciples. Mm -hmm. And so I think the thieves in this case are a human agency and they're going to be like the, the apple that spoils the barrel mm -hmm. or the psychic vampire that you occasionally come across in modern spiritual things where they take and take and take and give nothing. Mm -hmm. And so that's more what I think they're warning against. You have to keep watch against the world. So you have to keep watch against the people that are coming into your community because... <laughs> you got to prepare yourself with power so that thieves don't steal all of your spiritual gifts. They don't take all of your time. They don't take all of your resources, uh, whatever those resources might be. This is about spiritual self-defense? I would think so, but from human agency rather than arconic. Okay. I mean, you could, take, you could take a step back maybe and say that, you know, the the influences that would cause humans to do that kind of thing in the first place might be arconic, but... Yeah, I would tend to agree with, with Monsignor Rosbach that, you know, he is talking about kind of mundane stuff here. You know, mm -hmm. there's bad stuff in the world and it's going to happen to you and just be ready. <laughs> Absolutely. Get, get a bunker, stock it full yeah. of Cheerios. Cheerios? Why did I say Cheerios? And why did you say Cheerios? I don't know. Maybe I'm hungry. Yeah, I was going to say, hungry. <laughs> <laughs> So, Bishop Canterbury, you've been quiet. Well, I've been sitting here, uh, listening to everybody's kind of observations, and I think, you know, everybody's got some good, you know, uh, valid points on this. You know, well, uh, um, 
you know, uh, I'll just throw this out there. You know, uh, I, I probably bring it up every time we talk about a verse in, in the uh, uh, Gospel of Thomas. And, and, you know, I tend to kind of look at these things and dissect them. A lot of times, even though it may not be correctly to assume, you know, that there may be some uh, deeper Kabbalistic meaning, uh, because uh, it could be argued that, uh, um you know, Kabbalah didn't happen to to a later time period. I, I tend to still look at things, you know, uh, kind of uh, in a Kabbalistic way. You know, so even when I see a word like understanding thrown out there, you know, my mind is going off and going, okay, are they um, going off on, on kind of the idea of, of you know, the third Sephiroth, or the idea of Bina and what that implies, you know, which is... <laughs> You know, more of a, uh, a contemplative uh, nature of understanding, um, you know, uh, exactly, you know, um, you know, what is really being implied here. So, um, well, understanding yeah. is also one of the aeons listed in a lot of these, the various Gnostic texts, mm -hmm. like a specifically so, named aeon. Wow. Yeah. Maybe that maybe a man of the aeon needs to be among you. Possibly. Somebody who has been initiated. Mm. And you'll notice that uh, the instruction to have an experienced person dwelling in your midst comes after the whole arming yourself to do battle with the brigands. It's mm -hmm. the experienced person is there to harvest the crop. With a sickle in his hand. With a sickle in his hand. Um, so it looks to me like this is, well, I don't want to read too much into this, mm -hmm. but it looks to me like this guy is here for the purpose of harvesting that crop, mm -hmm. not as uh, hired security. Mm -hmm. No, no, he's the expert that comes in and says he doesn't even necessarily do the harvesting himself, although he has the sickle. He's the one who recognizes that it's ready. But it says here, sickle in hand and harvested it. Well, yeah, but the important part is that he recognized it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so the, the, the expertise is that he recognizes that it's time for the harvest. Mm -hmm. Anybody can go out with a sickle and cut down some plants. Right. But if it's not ripe, it doesn't do you any good. That's right, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty useless. And you've wasted a good plant. Yeah. Exactly. One that could have become ripe. It, well, it could have been become, become ripe. I and don't know if that's the thing, having never grown any... Uh, crops personally i i mean i don't i don't know is it difficult to recognize I, i'm just maybe i'm carrying the metaphor a bit too far but is it difficult to okay. recognize when they're ready it depends on the crop i mean if you're talking about grain it can be kind of difficult and if you're talking about hay or something like that you definitely have to have your sense of timing correct yeah uh, and the weather and plays a factor too right Weather plays a factor, and some crops are more valuable if you harvest them at a certain time than if you don't. Like, for instance, when I was young, I raised cucumbers. And if you got them when they just changed from being a flower to being a cucumber, they were worth a lot of money. If you got them when they were gigantic things that you cut up and put in your salad, they weren't. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Because anybody, anybody can grow those big cucumbers, but getting those little ones is difficult. Hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, fiddlehead ferns. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. they are completely—they're completely when they're large, they're completely inedible. But when you get them when they're just so, you can make a lot of money on them. Yeah, I used to pick those when I was a kid, and yeah, you're right. You got like a couple of days window when they're harvestable, and after that, yeah, you might as well put them in a salad. 
Yeah. But yeah, so yeah, that 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 that's interesting. You know, I've never really grown anything myself, but I, I respect Monsignor's expertise in these matters. <laughs> yes, I grow lots of things now. Yeah. <laughs> my garden didn't do well this year, but my animals are doing quite good. Well, I'm glad to hear that. Yes. And and he does have adorable goats. If you ever, if you follow him on Facebook, he'll post pictures. I oh, like I goats. The new one too. Oh we really? Yes, we, we have two cashmeres now. Oh, oh, excellent. Yes, very nice goats. Very good I, fiber. I'm learning how to spin. Oh, really? Drop spindle. Yes, I am. And I'm doing very badly with it. Um, <laughs> but I, I am learning how to spin. I've been studying Norse mythology, strangely enough. And the Norns, um, which, uh, who kind of measure out time, they, they spin a person's uh, weird or destiny and right. so I thought it would be a very good thing to learn how to spin so I've got a little drop spindle and I'm desperately trying to learn um, is, is that it's not going terribly well but <laughs> I'm doing it's my best to, and it's turning into a little bit of a spiritual discipline as well I had no idea um, how spinning actually worked and now I'm learning it it's kind of interesting do you uh, happen to know what a drizzle is have you come across that yet I have not Maybe. I think it's more for carding than it is for uh, for spinning because okay. there's there's two things you can do with fiber. Apparently, you can make yarn or you can spin it into some kind of thread, uh -huh. or you can uh, make it into roving, and you use the drizzle to make it into roving. I don't know exactly how it works. I just heard about it today, but oh, uh, I thought it was interesting. Well, I will I will look into that. There's a lot of great <laughs> spinning videos on YouTube. Hmm. Oh, I'll bet. Yeah. So. <laughs> Is, is roving make, like felt? Yeah, roving roving is the precursor to felt. Ah. So you take the fiber, you do something to it with the drizzle, and then you end up with felt. <laughs> Step three, profit. Actually, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I messed up the steps. You start with the raw fiber, and you do something to it, and you end up with roving. And then you rub the roving, and you end up with felt. Oh. I, I'm just trying to think. Is, I'm wondering because I know there's a felting needle that you can actually use, and it it's a very sharp needle, but eventually you can felt things with it. But I, I have not ever done that. So, any case, but yes, now you, you know, Gnostic clergy do have lives. <laughs> we, we, we've all learned, and we, we, we do interesting little things on the side, like raise goats and crops and arts and crafts. Arts and crafts. And, <laughs> and we love our tangents. That's we true. do love our tangents. We absolutely do. So, but this is just this is just one of those passages. I really want to know, and I never will know, the background as to how this got put, how this got written down together. Mm -hmm. I like. I think it was Father Tony's. I think it was Father Tony's idea that, or possibly Monsignor Rosbach idea that this was you know kind of notes for speaking on. Um, Lord knows, some of when I've given presentations, my notes don't always make a whole lot of sense either. Oh, yeah. If somebody were ever to run across my note cards for a presentation, they probably wouldn't even be able to guess the topic. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so was, that, that's, yeah. I was going to make a disparaging comment for the show notes, but I decided not to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know. It's really quite good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, any uh, any closing thoughts here before we wrap things up? 
I think that um, it's really important to work with other people when you're making your way through these passages, whether they are um, seemingly easy or seemingly difficult and convoluted. I think it's getting folks together and everybody sharing their knowledge and experience and insights um, really can create a lot more clarity. I learned a lot tonight. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things that I recommend because people occasionally come to me and say, you know, I'd really like to be doing this Gnostic stuff with a group of people, um, but there's nobody near me and I've never organized anything before. How do, you know, what do I do? And one of the things that I frequently recommend is just take this, you know, take this document and go through it one at a time and say, we're going to have coffee once a week and we're going to talk mm -hmm. about one thing every week and we'll talk for 15 20 30 whatever minutes about the about the logion and then we'll chat about whatever and until people go home and it's really kind of a a low barrier to entry and you don't have to really plan anything or really you know mm -hmm. uh, you know break the bank and rent a hall or the whole thing you know it's just it's an easy place to start so those yeah. of you who are listening at home and feel lonely, and I, I bet there's two or three other folks nearby who, if you post something on Facebook or Meetup or something like that, would come and talk about the Gospel of Thomas. Absolutely. Yeah, and let us know if you do decide to do that. Let us know how it goes. We'd love yeah, to, you know. we'd love and, to hear that. And something else that uh, I need to recommend is actually physically post it in the place where you're going to be. Because there, believe it or not, there are a significant number of people who are not on the Internet and who are interested in these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. having having a physical little thing on the flyer board would be probably very well recognized by certain people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they're already there having their afternoon coffee or their morning bagel or whatever the case may be. Right. So, so they, it's it, not out of their routine. Exactly. All right, well, be before we wrap it up here, I wanted to uh, remind everybody that our 100th episode of the video show is coming up, uh, if all things go as planned, on November 19th. So um, we hope that you will join us for that. But so close right now to 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. It's so, so close it's stupid, right, Monsignor? Yes, indeed. Yeah, so if we, if you have enjoyed our programs, please, please, please go on your Facebook or your Google Plus or your Twitter or whatever you use. Just share the link to our, our YouTube channel. And if we can get up to 1,000 subscribers on or around our 100th episode of Talk Gnosis, holy crap, that'll be exciting. So, you know, please, please do. We're awfully close. We're within 50 people of 1,000 subscribers on our YouTube channel. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I'm. I'm pleased that you know our little project here has uh, <laughs> has resonated with nearly a thousand people. I I kind of find that amazing. So yes, yeah. it's wonderful. Yep, and we do appreciate everybody who watches the show and asks questions or shares it with their friends. We really appreciate our viewers and listeners. Yep, absolutely. All right then, uh, Monsignor, do you want to tell everybody where they might find you on the internet? Uh, yes, you can find me in, well, you can find me in person in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> uh, you can find me on the internet at uh, joanite.org slash RCC. That's the Rose Cross community, and I post stuff there occasionally. You can find me on Eighth Sermon to the Dead. I haven't posted anything there recently, but I probably will begin again very soon. And uh, that you can always find me on Facebook. All right, terrific. 
Well, all right. Well, that'll do it for us then. Uh, so thank you all for, once again, a fantastic conversation. I always love doing these Gospel of yeah. Thomas. And uh, thank you to everybody who has listened along with us. And be sure to post your comments on our Facebook page or our YouTube channel or, or wherever you think that you might want to you know, share your comments with us. We'd love to hear from you. And, uh, yeah, that'll be it. So for everybody listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Good night, everyone. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information about this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Gnostic NYC, Talk Gnosis, or any other organization. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Thank you.